In her book about Jesus' parables, called Short Stories by Jesus Christ, Amy Jill Levine tells us that in middle school, she was often made to do group projects, like the science project to study gravity by dropping objects of different weights from the same height, or making a battery out of a lemon, you know, that sort of thing, science fair kind of thing. And in her group, she was usually the kid that did all the work, or at least that's how she tells the story. There was the kid who offered her home and snacks, but that's pretty much about it. There was the kid who drew well, and so she took care of the drawing, a few sketches here and there for the final report. Again, that was about it. There was the boy who could solve an unexpected snafu, but there was only usually one of those at the most. And then there was her, the one who kept people on track, thought through the design, followed the directions, wrote up all the notes, and brought and the final paper, bringing everything to its grand conclusion. And when the team did well, they got an A, all of them. And Levine used to think this was unfair because she had done most of the work, more of the work than anyone else, so only she was justified in getting the A. Everybody else could walk away with their B pluses and C minuses. Because after all, anyone else, anyone could bring snacks. She used to think this way until she became a biblical scholar. This was when she learned that her Jewish faith, the faith of Jesus, was more communitarian than that. For instance, the Israelite codes have a lot to do with maintaining the purity of the whole in the eyes of God. So unclean individuals, say someone who'd been around a relative who had passed away, would need to separate themselves from the whole for a period of time to protect the whole. Likewise, the Jewish laws required that the whole collective work to feed the poorer members by leaving grain in the fields so that they could come and gather them in. And in this way, the community helped and benefited from helping those in need. This is akin to the early Christians who still thought of themselves as Jews, who shared their goods communally as we read about in the books of Acts, so that none went without what they needed. And don't forget that Jesus taught the disciples to pray in the plural. Our Father, forgive us our trespasses. And we repeat this communal language in our Nicene Creed and in our confession of sins. We believe, we say, we. When we turn to our gospel reading, this background is helpful. In this parable, we have a tax collector and a Pharisee going to the Jerusalem temple to pray. This sounds like the setup of a joke, a priest and a lawyer walk into a bar. And in my case, that's the same person, so I don't know quite how that would play out. Jesus' audience would have viewed the Pharisee as a respected teacher, God-fearing man, the one who follows all the rules, who brings the science project to its grand conclusion, that A+. And the Pharisee offers to God what sounds to us like a self-serving prayer, but was ultimately a prayer of thanksgiving, like what you teach children at bedtime, perhaps. Thank you, God, for all the blessings of our lives, for our health, our education, our loving family, on and on. And in this prayer, the Pharisee is expressing gratitude for not being a thief or a rogue. It's kind of like the expression, there but for the grace of God go I. I could have ended up in a bad marriage. I could have blown off my studies in college. I could have had a health disaster that used all our funds, but thanks be to God, this hasn't happened. That's kind of prayer. 
And the Pharisee does good works, like fasting and tithing, not to win God's favor, because he understands that God, but because he understands that God asks him to do things as part of the covenant to which he belongs. So his prayer is not as off as it may sound to you and me. But, but where the Pharisee errs is not necessarily with the prayers he offers, but that he judges the heart of another, the tax collector. For it is only God who can judge the heart of someone else. It is not for the Pharisee to judge if another student deserves the A. Only God knows this. This is God's role, not ours. And this is key for Luke, because for Jesus, the Jesus that is portrayed by Luke, tax collectors, the one that is judged by the Pharisee, tax collectors are sinners on their way to righteousness. God knows their hearts. God is putting that path in their hearts. And an early first century audience would have really disliked this tax collector who would have been seen as a tool of the Roman Empire and dishonest because padding the tax collections was the way he would have made his money. This would have been the middle school kid who only brought snacks, a.k.a. bribes, and still made the A. Yet we have to assume the tax collector's sincerity and allow for his righteousness, no matter what caricature we have in mind. He asks for mercy. He hangs his head. He beats his breast. His prayer is not one of thanksgiving like the Pharisee's prayer, but one of petition. Have mercy on me. Given all this, Levine offers up a fascinating translation of the last line, second to last line of this parable, or the last line of the actual parable story itself, not the commentary. Instead of saying, this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other, she writes that a linguistically and theologically correct translation would be, could be, this man went down to his home justified because of the other, or side by side with the other, or more colloquially, along with the other. In other words, both were justified before God. Both deserve the A on the science project. How? Because the good deeds of the Pharisee adhere to the tax collector, and the remorse of the tax collector adheres to the Pharisee. God looks at the collective, not just the individual in Jewish theology. And if you think this sounds crazy, remember our class project. The good deeds of the A student benefited her and everyone else on the team, and that's okay. It doesn't harm anybody. It doesn't diminish her standing, but elevates everyone else. And if you still think this sounds crazy, remember the crucifixion of Jesus. One man died for our salvation. Jesus' death and resurrection transfers to us and allows us to be justified before God, even though we were not the ones on the cross, not the ones who died and rose again. Our faith is built on this collective understanding of the way God's grace works. It's a gift not just for one of us, but for all of us. Here at St. B's, we are beginning our season of gratitude and generosity in which we ask you to commit some part, some percentage of your resources to St. B's for 2023. By making this promise before November 20th, which is the formal end of our season, you will help us plan our budget for 2023. 
By making this promise, you also tap into this parable. No, I'm not talking about the Pharisee's tithe of 10% of his income, although we'll gladly take that if that's what you're willing to give. Rather, I'm talking about making a commitment now for the good of all of us next year. Like the Pharisees' store of good works and the tax collector's abundant contrition, when we promise to support St. B's, we are promising to support what God is doing in this place for all of us and for the wider community through our significant donations to organizations through our mission and outreach committee. And we make this promise without judging whether someone sitting in the pews or receiving the goodness, the acts of mercy from our mission and outreach partners, whether we do this all without judging whether anybody else deserves an A. God loves us all. God's grace is not limited to the best performers or the most contrite. We are all justified before God and offered the relationship with Christ in love. We are the body of Christ called to work together for the good of us all, and that includes for the financial health of St. B's. Jesus closes the parable with a statement that all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. So it's likely a separate statement added on to this parable by the author of Luke. And in the context of our season of gratitude and generosity, to humble ourselves is to know that all we have is from God, is God's, and is to be used to further God's mission on earth, including through St. B's. To humble ourselves means that we don't sit back and let others make a financial promise on our behalf. It means recognizing that we each have a part to play financially. We each have a responsibility to promise some amount, no matter how small, as part of our common good. Remember that everyone did something, even a small thing for that science project. No matter how small, it still produced good for the group. To humble ourselves is to realize that deciding what to promise financially to St. B's for 2023 is not a transactional decision. It's not about paying for what you get from St. B's. Rather, it's about trusting that God's grace touches all who enter here and all who leave this place to be messengers of Jesus' love in the world. Your financial promise to St. B's is about committing yourself to extending the reach of God's love and God's mercy beyond yourselves to all who need it through what we do here. For above all, it's a promise to God that you will engage in St. B's with all you've got, body, mind, spirit, and finances, not solely for you and your relationship with God, but for all of us. For we are all made well together. For we are all justified, made right before God together. For the tax collector and the Pharisee each had gifts that benefited the other, and so do we. Let us humble ourselves. Let us humble ourselves before God in Christ, the one who loves us and offers us mercy and grace, and the one whom we serve, including through our financial promise to St. B's for 2023 and always. Amen.